So if you could turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16 in your Bibles. Genesis 3, verse 16. And the presentation is entitled, Clash of the Gender Roles 2, Women's Roles in Dating and Marriage. You see, God made men and women with specific roles. Unfortunately, we have lost our way in regards to these roles. But God now wants us to rediscover our roles once again. But this time, He wants us to discover it in the light of God's love and righteousness by faith. What do you say, amen? So we want to say that there's something here in righteousness by faith. So as we learn from the Word of God the role of women, may we clearly see within gender roles the gospel of a God who loves us. Let us pray. Father, as we continue our study in gender roles, we pray that you may teach us the gospel of your love and the roles of women. We thank you, Lord, for answering our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 3, verse 16. After sin, to whom was the woman's desire? Notice the Bible says, Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In sorrow you shall bring forth children, and your desire shall be to your what? Husband. So there's something here that the desire within every woman's heart, again, is that whole, right? And it's a desire toward her husband's, and it can only be fulfilled in, within the marriage relationship by the love of her husband. A woman will never feel complete in a marriage relationship. If you're single, you will be complete. But in a marriage relationship, you will never be complete unless you feel loved by your husband. We learned that, right? Now, the culture today says to women that you're your own person, that no one should tell you what to do, and that you really don't need your husband, right? Especially in California. <laughs> but according to God, this is simply not true. A woman who is married longs to be loved by her husband, to submit to her husband, to experience true fulfillment in her marriage. She wants this. Whether you realize it or not, you long for it. It's within you. You want that to happen. Now turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 to 24. Let's look at this text. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 to 24. Notice the Bible says. We're going back to there again. Let's look at the women's role. The, wo the role of a woman, it says here in 5, verse 22 to 24. The Bible says, wives, what is the next word? It's the S word. <laughs> it's called submit, right? Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as a church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Wives are to submit to their husbands unto the Lord, again, as only as it doesn't contradict the word of God, but nevertheless, they are to submit. What do you say? Amen? They are to submit. And look at the Spirit Prophecy quotation. Notice what it says here. It says, Eve, uh, here's the reason why I didn't want to. It says, In the creation, God had made her the equal of Adam. Had they remained obedient to God in harmony with his great law of love, they would ever have been in harmony with each other. 
but sin had brought discord. And now their union could be maintained and harmony preserved only by submission on the part of the one or the other. Eve had been the first in transgression, and she had fallen into temptation by separating from her companion, contrary to the divine direction. It was by her solicitation that Adam sinned, and she was now placed in subjection to her husband. It doesn't get any clearer than that. In other words, the women are to subject themselves, submit themselves to their husbands. Now, why is it that, what is the reaction in the culture today? What is the reaction in the church? Notice what it says here. She goes on and says this. Back then, can you imagine today? But man's abuse of the supremacy thus given him has too often rendered the lot of woman very bitter and made her life a what? In other words, men had taken advantage of being the head and they had made the life of the women very bitter and very uh, hard for them, right? And so this is in the culture and even in the church. So let me share with you what has happened. Back in, back in the days before 1950s, there was generally, you would find that the women would submit to the husbands. It's found everywhere. There was, they understood clearly the roles of um, the lover and respecter and submitter and also initiated responders, very much so um, 100 years ago. It was just clearly seen in all homes and, and, and within the culture, in a Western culture. But what happened was because men, men abused their roles as the husbands and as the men, what has happened was there was a reaction. In the 1960s, telling you about the culture, the trends, in the 1960s, there was a reaction against the Western culture of America because men were abusing their roles, what Ellen White was saying. And so then came the 60s and the freedom movement and the women's liberation movement in the 60s. I mean, you're probably too young to hear about this, right? How many of you guys heard of the 60s? Let me see your hands. You probably study in history class. Okay, so there was a reaction, and the reaction was this. The lives of women felt they were oppressed by the men, which was true, because if the, if the, wives, if the lives of the women were not oppressed, there would have been no 1960s women's liberation movement. So because of that, there was a reaction, it was like a pendulum. Because men were oppressing and using, abusing their authority as being over the women, there was, it's like the pendulum always swings and it swung to the other extreme. And so the women's movement became strong in the 1960s, that you're your own woman, you don't need a man, you don't need to submit to any man, your own person, don't let anyone tell you what to do, don't let anyone open your door for you, <laughs> do whatever you want to do, right? So that's what happened in 1960s, and it got worse, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000, 2010, 2012, and now a whole new generation has been raised up who knew not Joseph, who has not a clue what even gender roles is all about. Do you see what's happened? Because they want to destroy the roles because of what has happened in the past, the abuse of men. It doesn't, doesn't matter who's right or wrong. They're both wrong. But here's the point. We've got to get back to our gender roles. What do you say? Amen? Amen? And the church always follows the world, unfortunately. So we're always behind the world. But we follow the world. So whatever the world does, the Western culture in America, the church is going to be faithful. That's one thing they're faithful in. They'll be faithful in following the world, right after the world. So in everything you see that's out there, the church is right there. 
And the next thing that's happened is becoming popular. The popular issue today is a church's popular issue a decade from now, or however long it takes. So we're just following the trends of what's actually happening out in the culture out there. So, but it happened because of what happened back then. You know, men have trampled upon their marriages. They brought death to the souls of their wives. The sad thing is that she didn't expect her husband to trample her when she said, I do. He seemed so kind and godly before they got married. And she never dreamed that he would treat her like this until they got married. Unfortunately, within the church, people, the church is a little bit different in the sense that there's still people who believe in the Bible and the Bible only, so they like to quote the text that women need to submit to men, right? But again, we learned last class that that's only half the picture because that doesn't reveal um, the true love of God. Okay, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Now, how is the relationship of the husband and wife to look like? Ephesians 5, verse 25. The Bible says, husbands, what? Love your wives, even as what? Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. We look at it a little bit. Now, because Christ loves the church, the gospel again, remember? When God loves us, when we see his love, what are we to do? We are to what? Respond to it, right? So when we see that, and when we see that God loves us, we will then want to respect God. See, within God's heart, there is a desire for you to love Him back and also to respect Him, to listen to Him, to submit to Him, right? To be in submission to God. God wants us to submit to Him. In other words, even if a women, men, we need to learn how to submit too, right? It says in Ephesians to each other. But also, we need to learn what it is to submit to God as men also. So not like we don't know how to submit. We need to learn how to submit. But the role of women is that when we see God's love for us, we ought to respond back to God and respect Him, honor Him, worship Him, right? That's respect. In the same way, women, men long for respect from women. See, women have a hole in their heart for being loved by their husbands. But women also, men have a hole in their hearts to be respected by their women. Example. We're talking to a couple. And say my wife is here. And if I say, you know, three days ago, I took my car out for a drive, and I went to get my dog, and my wife says, no, 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 it wasn't three days ago, it was four days. <laughs> Interrupting, yeah? showing like a disrespect, like, like I'm you know, not being honest. And I said, okay, okay, oh yeah, that's right, four days. And by the way, I was taking my car, I said, no, you didn't take the car, you took the truck. <laughs> okay, okay, I didn't take the car, that's right, okay. I was taking the truck, and I was driving, and I took my dog, no, you didn't take the dog, you took the cat. <laughs> <laughs> or even like, if you're together, and. Uh, you're talking and you ask the wife to do something and she goes, like that. Or just a funny thing. I mean, that, that shows disrespect to a man. And that hurts the heart of a man just as much as you hurt when your husband doesn't love you. You gotta understand that. It's called love and respect. It goes together. The wives long, the women long to be loved. The husbands long to be respected. And women, we need to respect our men. What do you say? Amen? Show respect to the men. Show respect to the boyfriends. Show respect to your husbands. And that'll, be do a, that'll go a long ways, even within your homes. 
Okay, so the first thing is that women need to be the respecters um, of their husbands, okay? Respecters. Remember, they love you, respect them back. The second thing here is responder. This is the second thing that women need to have. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. And men, this is what you look for in a woman. You look for women who carry these four principles. They're going to respect you. I'm telling you, if you marry a woman who doesn't respect you and nag at you and put you down in front of your friends, I mean, you don't want to go out with that person, right? You want to be respected among your friends. Respect her. And you want to get someone who responds back to you. You can love them all they want, but they need to respond back to you also because you love them. And then bearer and then keeper. We're going to get more into that later. Okay? So let's go to Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. If you're there, let me hear you say amen. Amen? You got to follow me on this, okay? Very closely. I want to see if I can make it simple. The Bible says, let me go through it once and I go back from the beginning. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Okay, it says here, for the visible things of him from the creation of the world. Okay, invisible things. Can you see things that are invisible? No, no you cannot, right? And I'm not talking about fate, but in physical thing, reality. Can you see invisible things? No. So, another word for words, describe to me invisible. What does invisible mean? You cannot see, right? You cannot see. But look at this text. It says here, the invisible things, of the, so the things you cannot see, from the creation of the world are clearly what? Seen. Does that make sense? So in other words, the Bible, is, the Bible is saying, what you cannot see, you can clearly see. What do you say, amen? By faith you believe this, right? Amen? So you cannot, these things you cannot see, you can clearly see. Now what does it mean by this? Let's look at the text. Being understood or seen by the things that are what? Made or created by God, right? So things that you cannot see out there, you can clearly understand by things that you can see that God has created. If that's clear, let me say amen. Amen? Okay, so what are the things that you cannot see? Even his what? Eternal what? Power. You can't see God's power. And it says, and what? Godhead. Can you see the Godhead? No. Is it invisible to a human eye? Yes. So the Godhead of God the Father and Jesus Christ. Okay, we'll be focusing on that. So that they are without what? Excuse. Okay, follow this. So in other words, you can understand the Godhead, right? You can stand, understand the Godhead and you can understand his eternal power or his, his power or his glory of salvation of how you are saved, right? His um, plan of salvation by the things he has, what? Made. And what, what, is, what are some of the things you think God has made? What has God made in this world? Love. That you can see. Remember we talk about things you can see. Birds, trees, flowers, what? Us. Who's us? Human beings and men and women. Do you guys see that? Did not God create man and woman together, right? In the image of God, right? Image of God. So man and woman reflects the image of the Godhead. Are you guys following me? So you can see how 
That's okay. Father and Son. Okay, we can do that. In other words, you can understand the Godhead, right? You can understand the Godhead, the Father and Son, clearly, if you had men and women who are representing the relationship and the roles of man and woman. Does that make sense? You can see the gospel in action of the power of the eternal Godhead, right? And also his power by seeing And how do you see that? You see it by when you see a man initiating, right? And when you see a woman responding, that is a gospel. When people see like, wow, that's a home. The man initiates, the woman responds, oh, I get it. God loves home. Right here. God, let's look at the gospel. God loves me first. He initiates to me first. And my job is to respond. If that's clear, let me hear you say amen. Amen? Okay. Let's reverse it and what's going on today. So what do you have a woman that's initiating in a home? Family worship. Prayer, spiritual leadership. And now, all of a sudden, the roles are reversed, and now the women are initiating and the men are responding. So, when, men, when people see us in, now inside the, in our home, and the women are initiating and the men are responding, what, does that, what kind of picture do you think that paints about God? Ah, oh, righteousness by works salvation by works. I have to do something first. I, right? Us. We have to do something first. Because if we're initiating reversing roles, we do something first now. Like the woman does something first. Something first. Let's have worship, honey. Okay, dear. Right? We have to do something first to appease God. To make him happy. To make the gods happy. Paganism, right? We have to appease God. And when we appease God, then all of a sudden he's going to love us in response, right? Then he's going to bless us because we appeased him. And by our lives, that's why it's so important, right? We're told in inspiration that one well-ordered, well-disciplined home, right? Well-ordered, ordered correctly, initiated response, Right? One well-ordered, well-disciplined home does more for the gospel than all the servants preach in the world. What do you say? Amen? Amen. How does that make sense? I'll tell you how it makes sense. People can be saved by watching your home. And the fact that we have to depend so much upon sermons today to convert people is because our homes are messed up. If our homes are right, we could be walking around and people would see our homes. Wow. He's initiating to her. Wow, he's loving her. Wow, he's providing for her. Wow, he, he gave his life for her. Man, it would transform the world. What do you say? Amen? So the women are, so this is the gospel. So I'm trying to show you that this is the gospel of the relationship between men and women. And not only that, but it reveals also another connection. Between God the Father and Christ. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. See, people like to focus upon what you need to do and what you shouldn't do, right? And that's good. But I believe that the gospel is found in every doctrine we teach, or should be found in every doctrine we teach, 
every standard that is presented and every prophecy that is given. What do you say? Amen? The cross of Calvary, of God's love, should be presented in everything that is presented. If there's not Christ in a sermon, my, my mind is like, I, mean, I don't want to listen to it. I want to know and see how is God presented in God's love. You know, inspiration is clear. I don't want to say it's clear that every sermon should be presented in the cross of Calvary. Several different ways throughout the inspirations he talks about that. Christ should be lifted up in everything, right? In everything that we study. So look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. It says, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. Okay? It says, But I would have you know the head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. I think we got that. And then the head of Christ, right? The son is who? Is God. Okay, so you see the relationship here. It's in your handout too. Now we learned this, there's parallels here. We learned already that how Christ loved the church, right? Is how man should love the woman and the gospel and that. But there's another third one here is that how the relationship was between the father and the son is also another indication of how the relationship should be between a man and the woman. Is that clear? Is that clear? Let me hear you say amen. Amen? amen. Okay, I'm not losing anyone, right? You're with me. Okay. So this is parallels with this. This parallels with this. And so you want to see that, um, the parallels. Now, you want to look at, then knowing this, then how did Jesus live his life? That's the question, especially when he was on this earth. Turn to John chapter 5, verse 19. And when we discover this, when we discover the role that the Son and the Father have, then we will discover more clearly what the roles of a man and woman is, and also what the roles, especially what a woman is in this study, right? Okay, let's look at John chapter 5, verse 19. And the Bible says, okay, let me get there. John chapter 5, verse 19, the Bible says, then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For what things soever he does, the Father does, these also does the Son, what? Likewise. In other words, the Son doesn't do anything unless he first sees what? What the Father did, right? So whatever he sees a father does, that's what he does also. Does that make sense? So in other words, he, Jesus never did anything until he first saw the movings of how his father was working. So that's how he saw his father work first. And he only did that which his father did. In other words, whatever the father initiated, he responded and did whatever his father was doing. And he joined his father in unity. Do you see that? So the second thing is that we're looking at is the woman was, number one, is, is a respecter. The second thing is that the woman is a responder, right? We learned that also in the last presentation. But more clearly, that Jesus submitted to his father, and he followed. In other words, and wherever his father went, guess what? That's where he went also. You know, everything in the Bible is for a purpose. Even in the names of your last name. We ever thought why we do certain things in marriage? Like even in marriage, the Bible says they were marrying and what? Given in marriage. In the past, women were given away by their fathers, were they not? They're given away. In marriage, you have the women, or used to be anyway, they take on the last name of the man. Right? 
she joined where her husband was at. And you think, well, what's, why is it that you know, the women should take a man? There's a text, actually. Um, turn me real quick. Genesis chapter 5, verse 2. Look at this. Now, can you call... Let's see. My wife's name is Yvette. My name is Keala. Would you call me Yvette? Would you call me Yvette? Would you call my wife Keala? Okay, how about Adam and Eve? Would you call Adam Eve? Would you call Eve Adam? Okay, let's see what the Bible says. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called what? Their name what? Adam. In the day when they were created. What do you call their name? So where do you think we get this tradition from? The word of God. That's why God called them. God did this. God called them their name, Adam. In other words, he called God. God sanctified with my wife's last name takes my name now. She's no longer, it was Takamini before. But now she's no longer Takamini. She called, we're called by, God calls their name Thompson. Is that clear? Let me say amen. Amen? Now, let me ask you a question. When Jesus, was, when Jesus submits to his Father, and the Father was initiator, and he submitted and subject to his Father, does that make God the Father better than Jesus, you think? Do you think, how many think God the Father is better than Jesus? How many think that um, Jesus is less than, he's worth nothing? He's less than his father. So, you, how many believe that? So just because Jesus had a different role, does that make him any less than God the Father? Are they equal? So you're telling me they're equal? Even though they had different roles, you're telling me that they're equal? Can we wait till after? Can you wait after? So, how is it that because men and women have different roles, all of a sudden we say that your male chauvinist pig because you feel that women have certain roles and men have other roles. And the women, you're saying that men are better than women. And you're saying that women are unequal and unjustly treated. How can you say that? When the gospel clearly shows that Christ submitted to his father. He did nothing until he saw what his father did. Do you see all the arguments that's set out there? And destroying the gospel. Now, I know the sad thing is that most husbands don't want to lead out today, right? Especially in regards to spiritual things. Now, some people, some people ask me, like, what is the case, um, they ask me, for example, what if your husband doesn't want to lead out in family worship, right? Well, first of all, look at the other situation. What if you're a single parent and you're the only one in your home and you're a woman? Do you say, well, you know, I'm a woman and it's not my job to initiate, therefore, you know, um, 
I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to have any family worship. I'm not going to teach my children about God. I'm not going to initiate about prayer because, you know, that's not my job, right? I'm just going to stay back and do nothing because that's the man's job. I mean, is that what you're going to do because you're a single parent as a woman? No. You're going to initiate. The same thing happens at home. If the man's not going to lead out and he tells you, I'm just not going to lead out, you're going to have to do things that are spiritual things that you're going to have to take it and you're going to have to lead out. Why? For the sake of your children. Or your children are going to be lost. Right? And there's parallels here in many different ways. So, you have to do something and save your children. Otherwise, if you do that, your family and your children are the ones who are going to be losing out. Now, um, men, we need to take the lead and lead out. What do you say? Amen? We need to fulfill our biblical roles that God has given to us and take it seriously. We can't be goofing off from our responsibilities just so we can spend more time on our careers, our computer, or a 52-inch flat screen. What do you say? Amen? Amen, men? I realize there's not too many men here. But we need to take it seriously. But at the same time, women, let me share this also. Learn to let your husbands lead out. What do you say? Amen? Some of you, so, women are so good at leading out today. They, to me, what I see in the world and in the churches, they do a far better job at it than us. That's just the truth. You see more women in church. The greater leaders in the church, you see a lot of them are women. Because the men have shirked their responsibilities and they're not doing hardly anything out there. But here's the thing. Women are so used to leading out and have done it for so long, they're so good at it. But women, let him follow his biblical mandate to lead out and be patient with him as he tries. What do you say, amen? It's like almost like you have to train him as a little child again because they don't know how to do it. And so you have to be patient as you are with your little child and let him try, let him fail, but let him try and work with him slowly. I know it's kind of degrading to talk that way about men, but you know this is so true today, right? Because we lost our roles. And so men yet to train the child, train, up, train him, let him lead out, let him experience leadership, let him fail, let him gain that confidence and you have, you have respect for him and he'll learn to lead. One of the signs for me, for the person, we talked last night in the question and answers about a person to marry. And you know, I shared with you about this woman, right, who, who initiated toward me and wanted to uh, marry me because she had a dream about me, right? Yeah, yeah, she called me the Lord. <laughs> she was bowing her dream toward me and saying, the Lord. <laughs> so here I was, I'm like, you know what turned me off about that? Was the fact that she initiated. I come to my mind, into my mind that I'm not, I had, initi- I had to let women initiate my whole life in relationships. I came to the point that I learned the true gospel. I said, from now on, I'm only going to marry the person that responds to me and doesn't initiate toward me. And so I said, any person initiates to me, that's off my list automatically. Why? Because I know better. I know more light now. And I'm going to follow the light God has revealed to me. Therefore, this is a biblical principle that I'm going to follow. People out there don't understand the principles. They can, you know, they can follow their own principles. But um, to him that know to do right, but do it not, to him it is what? Sin, right? Okay, now you know better, right? <laughs> Everyone knows better. There were members who were trying to set me up. as a, I was a single pastor. So members were trying to set me up with different girls, right? 
And I, th- I finally told them this. I said, any person you try to set me up with, I'm automatically not going to date them. And from then on, they never bothered me. <laughs> In fact, they said, they wanted us to get together so badly, but because they knew what I said, they totally let us go. They totally let us, let us alone. Because they didn't want to be a matchmaker and mess up the plans, even they felt what was good. And so men, we need to be initiators, and women, we need to learn to be respond, to respond in relationships. What do you say, huh? Amen? Amen. Isaiah 3, verse 12. Turn to Isaiah 3, verse 12. What happened back in the days of the Jewish church, God's remnant church back then? Let's look in um, Isaiah chapter 3, verse 12. Let's see what the Bible says. God is saying to his people, his remnant church, As for my people, children are their oppressors, and talking about them to the men, children are their oppressors, and women, what? Rule over them. Are there parallels with God's remnant church back in the Jewish church days and God's remnant church in today's last days? Are the women ruling over the men? Has not history repeated itself? Look at that spirit prophecy quotation here. Notice what it says here. We may safely say that the, the distinctive duties or the roles, distinctive duties of women are more sacred, more holy than those of men. What do you say? Amen? Let women realize the sacredness of her her work and in the strength and fear of God, take up her life mission. Let her educate her children for usefulness in this world and for a home in in a better world. A woman's role is more sacred and more holy than that of a man. In other words, if there is an inequality, then that inequality is that women have a better role than men. What do you say? Amen? It's not like, why do women want to leave the sphere of of their distinctive roles and go to another place where they're not supposed to be. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. What are we to be? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 in your Bibles. The Bible says, Bible says, you are our epistle. What is another word for epistle? Letters. letters. Very good. You are letters written in our what? Hearts. So your letters known and read, what? Of all what? Men. In other words, you are open books to be known and read by men. In other words, you and I are walking Bible so that by our lives, others may become converted. What do you say? Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2. Okay, the great, that's why it says, the greatest evidence on your handouts of the power of Christianity that can be presented to the world is a well-ordered, well-disciplined family. Do you see that? Your family are walking Bibles that people can read. In other words, people don't have to go to church to be converted. People don't have to open the Bibles to be converted. People just need to read your lives 
as an open book. People just need to read your homes. People need to read your relationships. If we have to say, we have to, if we feel we need to bring people to church in order for them to be converted, then something's wrong in our homes. We can convert people just by our lives and how we live our lives out there. And when people see that, we will convert people by the gospel and, and how our relationships are. That's powerful, right? See, an, an orderly family with distinctive roles is more powerful than all the sermons that can be preached. Unfortunately, this is not happening today. We're not seeing too much godly families. But beloved, these things need to change. We need to put a priority, priority upon our families and our godly roles once again. What do you say? Amen? This is what we need today. Now, a husband or a man who is not converted, how can he be one to God? Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 in your Bibles. Let's see what the Bible says. If you're there, let me say amen. Amen? amen. Okay. It's after Hebrews. The Bible says, likewise, you wives. Okay, say you're married to someone who's not converted. You think, how can I convert my wife? How can I make her love, love Jesus? How can I make her surrender her heart to God? This, this is how. The Bible says in 3 verse 1, likewise, you wives be in, what is that word? Subjection. In other words, submit. Submit to who? Submit to your own husbands. So submit to your husband. Submit to your man. Why? Why do you want to submit to your husbands? This is why. That if any obey not the word, and any of them who are not converted, any who are in the world who, who hate God, those who do not love God, if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation or the lifestyle of their wives. What do you say, amen? In other words, when they see again that the woman is submits to the man, right, in the home. When they see that, wow, the, they're going to, again, get the gospel in their minds, like, wow, this is the gospel. I need to submit. And when I see that, I submit. God loves me, and then I submit to God also. And that is the gospel of the cross, of God's love to us. So now we have here, we have women as respecter, women are responder. Now we're going to go to the other, the last two things. Turn me to the gospel as bearer. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. What are the reasons why women should submit to a man? First Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. What are the reasons why women should submit to a man? The Bible says, Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, but as suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. And then notice what it says in verse 15. Now how would a woman be saved? Notice what it says. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in what? Childbearing. Now I look at this text before and like, how can a woman be saved by having children? By bearing children, right? You ever thought like that? How can somebody be saved by having children? Now think about it. How do, think about how, do, how is a woman to be saved by just having children? I'll tell you how. Children change your life. What do you say? Amen? Yeah. Look at this um, quotation from Inspiration. A childless whole house is a what? 
desolate place. The hearts of the inmates are in danger of becoming what? Selfish, of cherishing a love for their own ease and consulting their own desires and conveniences. In other words, a childless home is a home where people become selfish. And you know what God wants to do? He wants to take you know, selfishness out of our hearts. You know why? Because selfishness is sin. We told inspiration. Amen? So when women have children, when they become the bearers and they have children, you know what happens to that woman? They, come, they become very unselfish. God uses the means of having bearing children to teach women to become unselfish. And when they get to heaven, their character will be aligned with the character of everyone else that is there, which is unselfishness. And no selfishness is going to enter to heaven. They're not going to be, you're not going to be happy with selfishness in heaven. So the child, he, I see, is very, I have the highest respect for women because that is unselfishness. When the baby has needs and they're always there for them and always 24 hours a day just being there for them, I don't know if I could do that. But I have total respect because that's going to work in weeding out the selfishness out of the heart. What do you say? Amen? And not only are women changed, but even myself, having a child, it has truly changed me. So women are respecters, responders, bearers, and the last thing is keepers. Let's turn to, let's look at the gospel as keepers. Titus chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Titus chapter 2, verse 4 and five, right before Hebrews. Titus chapter two, verse four and five. What is another, another gospel role of women? The Bible says, talking about the older women mentoring the younger women, it says, Titus chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Something came up to me last night, and I forgot who you were, but you were praying that, because you're a very young person, you're praying that you could find a spiritual mentor in your life. And I think you were in high school. I think our young people are hungering for mentorship. We talked about that yesterday, right? They're, hu we're, they're hungry for mentorship. And they really want it. Is there anybody here that feels that God has called you to maybe mentor younger girls? Is anybody here, any women here? Let me see hands. You feel called? Okay, amen. Any young girls who really, you probably may not raise your hand, but how many feel that you will want to have a spiritual mentor? Young girls, let me see. Any young girls? Okay, amen. Amen, sister. Okay, amen, I see your hands like this. <laughs> but it's going up. Okay, amen. Somehow we need to connect those who would like to mentor with those who want to be mentored. What do you say, amen? And connect with them. Um, I'd like to see that happen because that's very important. And uh, it touched my heart that they wanted that last night when they were sharing with me. So it says here, Titus chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Right, so one of the things it says here, it says that they need to be, in verse 5, keepers 
of the what? Home. Women were called to be the fourth principle, keepers of the home. Now the Bible says that um, this responsibility is to take care of the home and also to raise up godly people, especially in this last generation. What do you say? Amen? It hasn't worked. A child being raised in a two-income family has produced our generation. The reaction in the 1960s, as we learn, against the, in the reaction of the, of the abuse of men in the 1950s, that reaction is, is being shown in the fruits today that it hasn't worked. Look at our generation. Look at our church. Our church is a natural result of what is happening in the home. Our children are being neglected, and they know it. And they tell me that. And their hearts are broken and they're hurt because the parents are not there for them. The dad is not there for them. Mom was too busy working. The TV was their babysitter. Other people are raising them. It's not, it has not worked. We're in 2012 and look at the God's remnant church. It has not worked. And God wants us to go back to the, the roles that he has called us to, and women, your role, according to Ellen White, is higher, more holy than even our role as men. It is a sacred work. Raising godly children is the most sacred work our church could ever have. And you're looking for godly mothers who will raise their children. Godly Hannahs. Godly Marys of today. Who will raise godly children who will love and fear the Lord. What do you say, Amen. And take back your robes, women. Don't try and go to another robe, but take your robe back. Notice what it says here in your handout. It says, if Christian mothers were present to society children with integrity of character, with firm principles and sound morals, they would have performed the most important of all missionary labors. What do you say, amen? You want to be a missionary, women? Be a missionary to your own children. Why do you want to go out to the foreign countries and save all these people that you don't even know? And then in the end, your own daughter will be lost. What are we doing? Do we love the world that we don't even know less than our own children? As if the prophecies of the Bible says that women in the last days would be without natural affection? To their own children? the most important of all missionary labors. What may happen in the end? Turn to Revelation chapter 20, verse 9. Revelation chapter 20, verse 9. This is what's going to happen in the end times. The Bible says, And they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, the new Jerusalem, and the fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. After the thousand years, you know the story, right? After the thousand years, Satan is released and all the dead, the wicked dead, are resurrected, remember, right? They're resurrected and Satan is allowed to tempt everyone again. And then he marshals his forces and he gets them all organized. And it's going to be a while before this happens. It's not going to happen in a couple minutes. It's going to be a while as he, he kind of puts it into companies and he put everyone together and all of the, the most wicked men that ever existed are put in leadership of each, of each team, each company. 
Then they will march toward New Jerusalem. And they march there, and the Bible says here in this text that they surround the new city, right? And they surround it. Now, we are told, and this is not going to happen in a few minutes, we are told in Revelation 21, 18, that the city is made out of pure what? Gold as unto what? Glass. Clear glass, the Bible says. In other words, as the wicked people are camped outside of the city, the people on the outside can see the people on the inside. And the people on the inside can see through the clear glass the people on the outside. What if you and your whole family didn't make it into the city and you're on the outside looking in? Worse than that, what if you women made it into the city and you happen to look outside and there you see your son staring into your eyes? What if you're the mother, what if you're in the city and there you have your son glazing at you? How would you feel then? What decisions would you make differently in this world? What would you realize? i tell you what you would realize. We really didn't need that second car. We really didn't need that larger house. We really didn't need to go on those family vacations. We really didn't need to have that second income where I could actually stay home. Beloved, what is important to you? The convenience and luxuries of this world or the salvation of your children? The world in the end could have cared less about your children. But God not only knows your child's name, but he also knows the hairs on their head. Now look at your hand out here. It says here, Eve had been perfectly happy by her husband's side in Eden home. But like restless modern Eves, she was flattered with the hope of entering a higher sphere than that which God had assigned her. Sounds familiar? And attempting to rise above her original position, her role, she fell far below it. A similar result will be reached by all who are unwilling to take up cheerfully the life duties in accordance with God's plan. What do you say? Amen? You see, Eve didn't want to fulfill her role that God had assigned to her. And because of this, she fell far from her original position. In the same way, when women want to leave their designated roles to do what they want to do, they too may fall, but not only them, but also the children with them. God loves your children, wants them to be saved even more than you do. And God knows the best way for your children to be saved. And that is by you, because you gave birth to them. But that's not how it's working today. And I know we live in a culture and the economy is bad. Parents are working two jobs. I know a parent working three jobs. Both parents have to work student loans, bills. You have to look in this economy. How are things happening? You have to look at the practical aspects. How are things happening? Do you really need to... You have to look, will the debt of that degree be worth what you will make in the future? Right? The Bible says that a borrower is slave to the lender. In other words, don't borrow. Even if you feel like God's calling you to be a missionary, you can't just pack up and leave. Why? Because you're a slave to your boss because you've got to pay your bills. The modern-day slavery is, is no longer against the African-Americans. Slavery. 
The new modern slavery is debt to your loans and bills, credit cards, loans, and you cannot do what God wants you to do because you need to fulfill your loan requirements and pay the bills that you have within in your house that you get every week. And God wants us to be able to save our families. And sometimes we don't need those extra luxuries. I mean, how do you ever make it before without cars, right, and all those different things that we have? How do you ever make it without TVs before, right? How do you ever make it without, a, without an iPhone? How did they ever make it in this world before? <laughs> Apparently, they did a lot better than we're doing today. Yeah. Right? It's funny that uh, there's a place called the Kona Village in Hawaii. And this place at the Kona Village, it's, uh, I did a, a wedding there. And this is probably the most, was the most, the last tsunami wiped it out. But it was the most luxurious resort in Hawaii. And the most luxurious resort on the Big Island where I'm at. And then I, was, I had the privilege of going to this resort. And you had to have your name on the, on the list in order to even visit it. So here I was, and I had to have my name, and finally they cleared me, and then I went in there. And then I went there and I saw these bungalows, these small little cabins on the beach. And I went to visit the cabins, and I went into the cabins, and these are the most wealthiest people in the world. You know what they had in the cabins? No TV, no internet access, no videos, no DVD players, no telephone. Pine Springs Ranch. <laughs> I was like, and these guys pay so much money. I'm like, hey, wait a minute. I live on five acres. I live off the grid, actually. Very country living, simple, photovoltaic, you know. Um, but I think, why don't I just charge you half the price and come to my place? <laughs> They're paying top dollar to get away from the very things you and I are working overtime to get. In fact, when I was doing a wedding, I had a phone call, so I answered my phone, and I was talking on the phone, and I finished and put it away, and the manager came to me, and the manager said, I'm so sorry, sir, but you're not allowed to use a cell phone at all on this premises. The guests, they pay top dollar, and um, I'm sorry, but... And they know as a minister, I'm so sorry to say this, but the guests pay top dollar and they don't want to interrupt their um, vacation by people talking on cell phones. <laughs> Do we really need what we need? Do you think that maybe sometimes we have to sacrifice? No, we were given, we're, we're blessed because her dad, uh, he gave us a house. Um, he's still living, but he gave us a house. And so, and it's in town. And I got it from everyone for doing this, but we remodeled it during the boom and we sold it during the boom. And I sold the home. People were not happy. You know, sentimental value. And also, uh, church members were upset at us. <laughs> they get into our affairs and they're upset that we sold the house and I, I bought five acres in the country. It was a sacrifice. I mean, I was so scared, I didn't want to tell my wife, because I wanted to be the man, right? <laughs> I wanted to be like, I was the protector, I wasn't afraid, but I was afraid because I never lived in a place where, you know, I didn't have electricity or 
and I had to work with a with a photovoltaic um, solar um, cells and even like generator and everything. I was afraid to live off the grid, and so it took me like a year. After, it took me over a year before I actually felt comfortable that I could actually live this way. But it was a sacrifice, and it was. Like, and some people say, "Well, you know." Um, or forced to live a certain way. But it's the difference when you force and when you choose. The power is when you choose. Christ wasn't forced to come down. He chose. In the same way, when you choose to give up things and expensive things and a, a luxurious or a comfortable, convenient lifestyle, when you give that up for your family, your family will never forget it. We think love is giving material things to people. Giving them a house, giving them money, giving them um, food, right? A roof over their head. We think that is love. But that's not what love is. You know what love is spelled to me? T-I-M-E. And so what? We don't have a second income. So what? We don't have a... You know, in this house we sold, the realtor said this was the nicest house in town. I mean, we could have been living an easier life, but we wanted what was best for our daughter. We sacrifice what was best for our daughter. We sacrifice the extra income. We sacrifice a lot of things. Why? Because I want my. I want to be looking to that. I don't want to be looking to those glass, those glass, the glass walls, and see my daughter on the outside. That's going to be a painful day if that ever happens to any of us here. Turn to Jeremiah thirteen, verse twenty-one. Jeremiah thirteen, verse twenty-one. Twenty to twenty-one. Jeremiah 13. Jeremiah 13, verse 20 to 21. What will be asked of us in the judgment? The Bible says here, Jeremiah 13, verse 20 to 21. Lift up your eyes and behold them that come from the north. Where is your flock that was given you? Your beautiful flock. We can leave it there. When we get to the judgment, we'll be asked, where's your family? Where's the children that I gave to you? Now look at the the handout I gave to you. It says here, when the judgment shall sit and the book shall be opened, when the well done of the great judges pronounced, notice what it says, the crown of immortal glory placed upon the Upon the brow of the victor, many will raise their crowns in sight of the assembled universe and pointing to their mother, pointing to not their father, but pointing to their mother, say, she made me all I am. Through the grace of God, her instruction, her prayers have been blessed to my eternal salvation. You see, it is during the judgment that many of the saved will point to their mother and say, I am saved because of her. What do you say, amen? There's a story. That's our last text, but I want to share this story. There's a story, may have happened, may have not, but during the Passover, it is said that there was a young little girl who was sick, who was lying in bed, and you know the story that the, the angel was going over, and whoever didn't put the blood on the doorpost, the home, you had to get the blood, paint it on your doorpost, and because you had the blood on your doorpost, the, the angel with the sword would come over and, and pass over your home. That's how we got Passover. Pass over the home and not kill the firstborn in your home. 
And sorry, it was a little boy. So this little boy was sick and he's lying down and he would kill the firstborn. So this little boy was lying down and he was sick and he goes, Mommy, I just had a feeling. Did you put the blood on the doorpost? And the mom said, Son, the blood is on the doorpost. Don't worry about it. Then a little while later, it's getting close. And they're hearing the screams of mothers crying over the children who have been killed. And he goes, he wakes up, Mom, I'm afraid. Did you put the blood on the doorpost? He goes, don't worry, son. The blood is on the doorpost. A little while later, he just wakes up and says, Mom, did you, are you sure? Did you put the blood on the doorpost? Did you put it on? And she said, Son, I have gotten my most trusted servant, and he has put the blood on the doorpost. And the little boy said, But Mom, can you just please check? Just check the doorpost. Please check the doorpost that the blood is on the doorpost. And then the, the mom went outside. She opened the door and she looked out on the doorpost. And there was no blood on the doorpost. And quickly she killed the lamb and got the blood and she painted it on the doorpost. And she saved the child. You see, beloved, it is the parents' responsibility to secure the life of their children and not anyone else. Who do you think loves your baby the most? Do you think it's your teacher? Do you think it's your babysitter? Do you think it's the TV? Do you think it's your friends that's going to... Who's going to take the best care of your child? Who's the one you're going to delegate it to? Who's the one that will make sure that your child, your most trusted servant... Who's going to make sure that your child will not die, I'm not talking dying physically on this earth, but will die spiritually for our eternity? Who's going to be the one that's going to take care of your child the most? I tell you who's going to be the one that's going to take care of your child the most, and that's going to be you, amen. What do you say, amen? Don't you want to be the women that God has called you to? I know it's going to be a sacrifice, but it's going to be a beautiful sacrifice on that day. Women, God wants you to see His love for you. When you see His love for you, you would then want to submit to Him. When you see that God respects you, you then want to respect your husband. When you see that God responds to your request, you're going to want to respond to your husband. When you see that God bears your burdens, you're going to want to be a bearer of children. When you see that God keeps you in the palms of His hands, you're going to see that God will want to keep you also. Don't you want that? I want that. Amen? So, let us women, how many women today? would like God to change your hearts to follow his biblical roles at least begin to do let me see hands amen amen praise God okay let's pray father we thank you for your goodness and we pray that you may seal the commitments of the women here who want to follow your ways we thank you in Jesus name amen this message is produced by a loud and clear call ministries our mission is to uplift God's character of love through the preaching and teaching of the everlasting gospel in this generation. For more information on our ministry and the resources we provide, please go to our website at www.aloudandclearcall.org. That's www.aloudandclearcall.org. Mahalo and God bless.